Good Morning Nancy is a horror movie podcast, and it may not be for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And if you're new to the show, welcome. This is season four, episode 10, and we're so excited for you to join us. Gracie and I have been friends since forever, and we love talking about our favorite horror movies together and with you. All while drinking a nice cup of coffee. Today we'll be discussing the 1942 classic horror noir film, Cat People. It was directed by Jax Tonner. Yep. <laughs> Written by DeWitt Bodine and produced by Vale Luton. We're not shy about spoilers, so if you haven't seen this film, we highly suggest that you pause this recording and watch it. Still here? Okay, cool. So let's get this morning started. So in the early 1940s, RKO Pictures was struggling. <laughs> they were on the struggle bus, mostly due to their financial losses related to Orson Welles' magnum opus, Citizen Kane. Oh, which is very popular now, but yeah. people, I guess, were like, what is this? <laughs> and didn't see it. Yes. So Val Luton, who was at first a journalist, novelist, and poet, was hired by the failing RKO Pictures to help make a horror film rivaling Universal Studios' The Wolfman on a budget of under $150,000. Cat People, which was based on Luton's 1930 short story, The Bagheera, was the first out of 11 films that he would produce for RKO Pictures. Oh, Bagheera, like like, like Bagheera, the panther? It sounds and... similar though. That oh. see, and I don't know anything about that name, so that must that must mean something. Interesting. Let mm-hmm. us know. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to do any more research. <laughs> this is the last episode of the season. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so in a pre-production memo, Luton insisted on casting against type for this film. And that's why he chose Simone Simon as Irina, because she was, quote, cute and soft and cuddly and seemingly not at all dangerous. Yikes. (laughs) Also that name. I love it. Simone Simon? Yes. I know. Her name is basically Simon Simon. It's Mm -hmm. awesome. Simone Simone. So Cat People was shot in the summer of 1942 in just 18 days at RKO's Gower Gulch Studios in Hollywood. Gulch is such an interesting word. Gulch is, um, what's her name from Wizard of Oz? The Wicked Witch of the West? That's her, like, her real life Kansas name is Gulch. Gulch? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. All right. Well. (laughs) So the sets that were in this film were actually left over from previous higher budgeted RKO productions. And that's why the film actually looks more expensive than it actually was. It it looks very high class. Yeah. And I guess the uh, set they used was from one of Orson Welles' films. And it wasn't a Citizen Kane. It was the other one that he did with them. So according to TCM.com, the film was shown to a test audience in downtown Los Angeles, and screenwriter DeWitt Bodine, who was there that night, recalled 
quote, the preview was preceded by a Disney cartoon about a little pussycat. And producer Val Luton's spirits sank lower and lower as the audience began to catcall and make loud mewing sounds. Oh, no. Oh, God, he kept murmuring (laughs) as he wiped the sweat from his forehead. (laughs) Oh, no. The picture's title, Cat People, was greeted with whoops and louder meows, but... When the credits were over and the film began to unreal, the audience quieted and, as the story progressed, reacted as we had hoped an audience would that night. There were gasps. As the shock sequences grew, the audience accepted and believed our story and was enchanted. So the film only cost about 142000 to make and so seven thousand dollars under budget and it brought in almost four million in its first two years and saved RKO from financial disaster. Incredible. Even though audiences loved the film upon its release in December of 1942, initial critical reviews for Cat People were mixed, but the film is now widely acknowledged among critics as a landmark in the horror genre. In 1993, Cat People was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. There's a copy of it also at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Wow. Critic Roger Ebert included it in his list of great movies and said in 2006, Cat People wasn't frightening like a slasher movie using shocks and gore, but frightening in an eerie, mysterious way that was hard to define. Mm. Mm. With that said, Abby, would you please remind us all of the plot? Yeah, so Cat People is the story of newlywed Irina, a Serbian artist who struggles with her own dark history and supernatural past while simultaneously struggling to cope with her sexual suppression. Irina tells her husband that the reason for her chilly behavior and seeming uninterest in having any sort of physicality in their relationship is due to her descendants from the Serbian Cat People. These people were found guilty by King John of worshipping the devil and were smitten and driven out of Serbia by him. She believes that if she gives in to pleasure or jealousy, she'll transform into a cat and commit unspeakable acts. Her husband Oliver has a hard time understanding why this affects her so much and confides in his co-worker and best friend Alice that he's become disenchanted by married life. Alice recommends that Irina see a psychiatrist and, through her referral, points them in the direction of Dr. Lewis Judd, who convinces Irina that she should keep her true feelings hidden from her husband. Through all of this, Irina suspects that her husband is having an affair with Alice and begins stalking her and behaving in a very threatening manner. In the midst of all this, Oliver and Alice decide that they are truly in love, which pushes Irina over the edge. One night, while Irina visits Dr. Judd, he attempts to kiss her and she transforms into a panther and attacks him, mortally wounding Irina as he dies. Irina wanders into the zoo, opens up the panther cage, and is killed by the cat, the very creature that represents her repressed sexuality. 
So let's talk about the Bechdel test. Mm -hmm. Yes, it passes, but barely. (laughs) Irina and Alice have a very small exchange at the restaurant. And that's when Alice says, like, if you need to know anything about the city, just tell me. I know everything or whatever. Yeah. And I know all the uninteresting things or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) How do you feel about Alice? Uh, Barf. (laughs) Barf. (laughs) She's just trying to be helpful, except she'll also steal your husband she's a sneaky little snag (laughs) irena also talks to minnie who is the waitress about getting coffee the conversations are kind of blase when it comes to the bechdel test most of the time the women are talking about oliver and that's the named women because there are a lot of there are some women in this but they don't have names i don't think so that's the problem all right so nancy's dream team test was the supporting cast at least 50% women? Yes. They wow. Didn't, they didn't all have names, though. Did a woman write, direct, or produce the film? No. Was the final girl a person of color? No. Were there any openly LGBTQ characters in the film? No. Mm. Okay, so the last time we did a full-length episode, we did American Mary, and in that we talked about female-centered horror films and how they're sort of few and far between she's both the torturer and tortured and she's both the sadist and masochist and the monster and the victim just like american mary yes and so it's really interesting to see how horror films like female-centered horror films and how they've grown and and then also fallen off the face of the earth and then have climbed up with their claws so to speak (laughs) to back to the top and it's it's really interesting Yeah, it is. So let's talk about identity crisis and normacy. So Irina explains in the film that she envies every woman that she sees on the street because they make their husbands happy. And it's so sad. It's really sad. (laughs) But, and this is where Oliver is such a great character, but also he's terrible yeah in in many ways but he's great because his proposal kind of tries to function as like a normal thing for Irina to do yeah because she's single she lives on her own she has a job and it's like she has this great apartment and it's just like but then she's like I'm weird and he's like well marry me and then you won't be anymore. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, like it's a solution to her problems. Or Absolutely, something. she's having sort of an identity crisis, and he thinks that well, by marrying me, and he says like, "Don't worry, you're so normal that you even love me. I'm Oliver Reed, a good plain Americano. You're so normal, you're going to marry me." And those fairy tales, and the fairy tales are what she tells to him about her family, the cat yeah, people her in Serbia. Yeah. Those fairy tales, you can tell them to our children; they'll love them. Oh my god. <laughs> But that's also very upsetting because to her, they are not fairy tales. Like, that's part of who she is and, like, her culture and her history. Yeah, so, he's laughing at, basically, her history. Yeah, and she is just like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, she is almost too nervous to disagree with him or, like, say anything about it. Well, and what's really cool is that the director and the producer of this film were both immigrants. And I think that that speaks volumes in this film because here is this good old Americano guy. Yeah. And he's sort of, he loves her, but he's making fun of her almost too. 
And I'm wondering if that comes from, you know. Well, it's part of the culture here in America, I think, especially in that time period where like. It's still a problem. Yeah, yeah, of course. And Americans want outside cultures to assimilate and be, quote unquote, normal. And it's incredibly sad and disheartening. And I think that that's part of Irina's identity crisis because she's like, well, I'm here in America, but I don't know anyone. And then I meet this guy and he's telling me that I'm a weirdo and these stories are hilarious. So, I mean, <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do? I guess I'll marry him. Well, I know. And he even asks her, like, why do you have the statue of King John in your house? And she's like, she's like, well, just like you would have a, a, a portrait of like George Washington. Right. But yeah, so this is a guy who marries a young woman who has warned him. She has an extreme fear of physical intimacy. Like she won't even kiss him because he's just like, normally people kiss her around this point. And she's like, about that. I don't like it. <laughs> what if she's actually asexual? Did you ever think about that, Oliver? Well, no, you didn't. <laughs> no, because he's just like, if I marry her, then she's fixed. And that's the biggest <sighs> eye roll. Uh Yeah, and uh, Chuck Bowen actually said it best, I think. Irina might be the literal monster in Cat People, but she's also an immigrant woman who's manipulated and batted around by men of authority who are mostly concerned that she gentrify in accordance with American urban culture. And there's like this hypocrisy that's surrounding her as well because she's forced to be chased and because it's like, you know, you don't have sex until you're married type thing. And then it's like, but but then once you are married, you should be having all the sex that you, your husband wants. Yeah. So it's just like this flip flop, like, which one do you want me to be? And so like, she feels like pressured to be chaste, yet she's resented when she doesn't sexually gratify her husband or her psychiatrist. Well, and also, who even taught her about sex? Because... It doesn't sound like her parents were really around. She doesn't have any siblings or family in America. Mm -hmm. She maybe didn't go to school in America. Well, she says that Oliver is her first... um, Friend. First American friend, yeah. Yeah, so um, she probably doesn't know that much about it. So, of course, she's going to be kind of nervous. I assume she's young, too. Yeah. She seems like she's like 21. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like she's really young. So there's that. Uh, Jason Wilcox actually wrote a great article called Cat People and Its Two Worlds, and he supports his findings in this article by drawing on a new theory of cultural origins developed by the anthropologist Chris Knight. Wilcox says... The female can, as it were, move between two worlds. In one of these worlds, the sacred is her blood kin or sisters. In the other, the profane, is her husband. She belongs fully to neither. Oh, wow. That is basically Irina. Yeah, because she interacts with the woman in the restaurant who is also Serbian and you know, it's mentioned that she looks, oh, she looks like a cat. She comes up to Irina and calls her sister. Yeah. And Irina is like... Crosses herself. Yeah. <laughs> She's she afraid Im- of her. She is immediately like, no, no, like, I don't identify with this. But at the same time, she is not totally comfortable with her husband. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Isn't that funny that it's like, 
I mean, she doesn't speak English to her. And so, and that scares everyone at the table, which is hilarious because the only thing she says is sister. Yeah. She doesn't even say anything that's scary. She's, and you can even tell it's sister, it's sestra. And it sounds yeah. just like sister. Mm-hmm. But the fact that everyone at the table is like, whoa, what was that? Yeah. It was just like, you know, just that tiny bit of something that wasn't their normal frightened everybody. Yeah. And as, Things are kind of changing also, like, whoo, yikes. So according to Karen Hollinger, she said, Tourneur's film remains a strong statement of female power indifference, which is controlled only by the woman's internalization of patriarchal standards. The film speaks to a patriarchy secure in its control of female power, yet on the brink of the wartime initiation of women's challenges to that control. Yeah. Yes, which brings us to Cat People, Women, and World War II. So Tim Snelson wrote a great book called Phantom Ladies, Hollywood Horror on the Homefront. I suggest you all read it. It's phenomenal. And he says in there about Cat People, quote, Cat People marks the realization of the shift of horror narratives to the reality of the American present, which would become the dominant setting of the horror genre during the war. Mm. Uh, So we mentioned uh, Wolfman earlier. That actually premiered in 1941, just four days after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Okay. Yeah. Cat People premiered just a year later. And even though there are some like similarities in theme, obviously, with the whole like werewolf cat type thing, unlike the Wolfman's ambiguous setting and time period, Cat People takes place in present day New York City, 1942. That's really interesting, though, because everyone like feminizes cats and yeah. like dogs are very masculine. So mm-hmm. that's so wild. So there was, here like, are these women who are in modern day. Yeah. And here are these men who are werewolves who are still stuck in some ambiguous past. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so crazy. So Cat People was like a relatable horror film for everybody because every on screen was st- everything that people recognized. It was not just geographically like recognizable but like the characters were as well the women in this film are incredibly modern and realistic yes and i mean just the fact that irena even sees a psychiatrist in this film is groundbreaking yeah and like even alice works in an office full of men she as far as i know is the only woman she is i think yeah Yeah. and she's super buddy buddy with all of them yeah and like friends and like everyone treats everyone equally in that workspace like nobody makes any weird jokes towards her that i remember so in 1942 a survey by the women's bureau of the department of labor was released confirming that the war industry's expansion was permitting women to work alongside men in roles as diverse as lathe operators ground mechanics stock exchange floor employees and flying instructors whoa that same year female employment in detroit michigan had increased from 44,000 to 107,000 an indicator of a nationally experienced trend whoa so women were working so according to tim snelson again he says as the war progressed and women increasingly relocated to major cities or traveled in from the suburbs for shift work in factories the 
unescorted femme became an increasingly common feature in the downtown theaters where most of these horror films had their first runs. Women thus emerged as an expanding market for theaters that specialized in horror and crime films. And this is one of the reasons why cat people remained in theaters for two years. That's so crazy. Because women were watching it. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, like you mentioned before, Alice works in a place where there's all men. She works in a shipbuilding, like, factory, basically. Or, like, she designs ships. And That's so crazy. You know, it's amazing. And, like, the wartime industry saw ship, shipbuilding as the, the greatest, saw the greatest rise in, like, female employment. Mm -hmm. So, like... From 36 women involved in ship construction in late 1939 to 160,000 <laughs> by the time Cat People was produced. So Alice was actually a super common character. Like women were working in the shipbuilding industry and they were like, hey, that's my job too kind of Whoa. thing. Whoa. Yeah. That's nuts. So in contrast, which is kind of interesting, Irina works in ladies fashion. An industry whose role in wartime was highly contested. Oh, that's also interesting because Alice also talks about being the new kind of other woman, yeah. quote unquote. So it's almost as if the way that men and women started having affairs was kind of revolutionized as well. Oh. Like, Irina is uncomfortable with how open her husband is with Alice and how much information Alice has about the relationship. And while Alice tries her best to be sweet and keep to herself, she cannot. So Alice... <laughs> Alice is like the embodiment of a new form of expression, while Irina represents how unhealthy it is not to be open, I guess. So yeah. they're like two extremes, which is problematic in some ways, but it also has, it's like an interesting time capsule of how the tides were turning for women at that time, too. Yes. So. So good. This movie's amazing. It really is. Good Morning Nancy is proudly sponsored by Recess Coffee. We wouldn't be able to create such great content without being fueled by their magical beans. And the great part is, is that each batch of coffee is locally, artisanally roasted, and it comes from fair trade farmers. Gracie, what's your favorite blend? Oh my gosh. Okay, so my favorite blend is the Westcott blend. It has African and Indonesian beans mixed to create a clean, rich, and full-bodied cup of coffee. Mm. It has a rich floral vanilla aroma with a sugared almond flavor and a lemon finish. Yum! Ooh, delicious. My favorite is the Austin's blend. It's a unique blend of African, Indonesian, and Central American beans roasted to create a characteristically rich, dark, and smoky cup. It has a bold roasted nut aroma with chocolate flavors and a smooth, fruity finish. The coffee is seriously so good. I don't even have to put any cream or sugar in it. I just drink it black like my soul. <laughs> so guys, head on over to RecessCoffee.com to order yours today. Or if you're a Syracuse local, stop by either shop at 110 Harvard Place or 110 Montgomery Street. So drink coffee, shoot lightning. Now back to the show. Okay, so it could be argued that the the monstrosity in this film is the over-attachment to the domestic and the traditionally feminine. Femininity and sexual desires are counterproductive to the war effort. Yikes. So let's talk about sexuality. Yes. So 
the Irina that is on the film's posters doesn't really match the Irina in the actual film. Yeah, I noticed. <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, pinup images usually, like, are supposed to, like, a, be aimed towards, like, male audiences. But critics, I guess, said that the pinup girl also dr- addressed herself to the, like, American woman who wanted to embrace the more, like, aggressive side of her female sexuality. Oh. So it was sort of like, come one, come all, see this yeah. man, see men, come see this woman in this film. But for cat people, it was sort of like, like, look, ladies, like, you can be sexy, too, and not feel bad about it. Yeah. Like, this is Simone Simon. Yeah. Yes. And also, the film kind of takes on this weird, like, I don't know, like, it sides with Alice, even though she is wrong. Like, she's not doing the right thing, but it makes it seem like, well, Alice is like a, she's like a good American girl who is in love with this guy, and... I don't know. It just, but like everybody in the theaters, just like with any other like monster and horror films, like took sides with Irina. Yeah. Well, that makes me feel better at least. (laughs) Like like, all of the marketing behind this film was around Irina's character, like Simone Mm -hmm. Simon. So Irina feels like she can't, like, I think that she can't feel like she can be a sexual being, but also be like a wife and mother. Mm. And Alice, I think she might feel is that threat. Like she's like, Alice is like the successful working woman who can also provide Oliver with all of his desires or what yeah. she thinks are his desires. Yes. But um, in a March 1942 Good Housekeeping article, they questioned, is the danger of developing serious ne- neurosis as the result of a sex deprivation real? Or imaginary. <laughs> well. If the menace is authentic, what are the remedies? Uh, um. <laughs> the best remedy, according to its writer, who was Maxine Davis, was transferring of energy originally designed to emerge in sexual channels into paths that are not sexual. What? <laughs> but that's how you get serial killers that's how you get sick yeah yeah so like Irina is almost like she expresses like the sexuality that she's trying to repress through her art and she draws these cat creatures and she draws like these swords and stuff piercing them and whatever so it's very much like a phallic symbol in that sense too and so yeah. But even that she's so insecure about because she's always like, oh, they're they're not very good. And if you see my drawings, you might not want to see what a real artist looks like and blah, blah, blah. It's just based a lot in her insecurities with herself. And well, because she's insecure about her sexuality. Right. So when he's when she's like, don't look at my drawing, it's like, don't look at my boobs. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, don't That's look at what, what I'm is. feeling, basically. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Ugh. Yeah. And so Irina is just she's vulnerable because she's conflicted on what her role is. <laughs> yeah. Freud also made an interesting point about the legends of beasts and like the mythology surrounding them in relation to sexuality and dream psychology. Okay. So in the book, 
um, the horror film, An Introduction, by Rick Warland. Um, he put a little excerpt in there saying that Freud had said, wild beasts represent passionate impulses of which the dreamer is afraid. And further, such beasts might be said to represent the libido, a force dreaded by the ego and combated by means of repression. And it often happens, too, that the dreamer separates off his neurosis, so his sick personality from himself, and he depicts it as an independent person, a structure that would similarly describe the psychoanalytically charged Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and the Wolfman. So Irina does this by identifying heavily with her heritage and the village where she comes from, most likely because of the way she was raised. She believes that she's inherently evil, and the way to rid herself of that evil is to push away the physicality that she's expected to share with her husband. I think we can also make the argument that Irina never had a good example of marriage or what sexuality is. Mm. And she's objectified by her husband, who doesn't really take the time to get to know her before jumping into marriage. So, right, because they've only known each other for like two days. A minute, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, marry me. I think we can also make the argument that Irina never really had a good example of a marriage or what sexuality is. Um, because she's objectified by her husband, who doesn't really take the time to get to know her before jumping into marriage. And I think the death of her father and the rumors about her mother really play into the naive nature of her character. She's an adult woman who finds herself married with like no kind of guidance whatsoever. She's independent in every way except her relationships because a huge chunk of that was missing from her childhood and it was crucial to her development. Well, yeah, and what's also kind of sad is that she doesn't have Alice to be like that friend to help her. Because she is garbage and <laughs> oh, wow. she steals her husband. <laughs> God, I can't. I mean... True love is true love. Like, you you can't help who you love, I guess, but at the same time. So that's, this whole thing with, like, sex and death and whatever really reminded me of the La Petite Mour, which is the French expression meaning the little death. Uh And the modern usage refers to the sensation of orgasm as likened to death. Yeah. And I tell you, is it any wonder that Irina is afraid she'll kill if she has sex? What a, even like Larry Talbot. He's just like, stay away from me, Gwen. Like doesn't want to hurt her. Right. It's like the forbidden fruit. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say that death is maybe a lot worse than sex. So <laughs> if you want that sensation, you might as well have sex with someone. I guess so. <laughs> oh, yikes. <laughs> So let's just talk a little bit about the use of shadows, editing, and effects. So Robin R. Means Coleman, who wrote one of my favorite horror books of all time, the link to that is in the show notes, she says in her book Horror Noir, Cat People was a rare horror innovation for the time as much of the horror fair of the 1940s was man in a monkey suit dreck. (laughs) Cat People made the most of its limited, like, B-movie budget to create a first-rate psychological thriller that relied on suggestion 
rather than overt special effects. Mm, yeah. Because the monsters in this hide in the shadows. That's kind of cool because Irina also mentions that she likes the dark because it is friendly. So this seems to be like all that she knows as an immigrant from Serbia with a dark past and no real connection to anyone in America. So she's distant and disconnected. And this film captures that tangibly for the audience as if it's a direct reflection of Irina. So (gasps) she moves in the shadows like a cat stalking its prey at night. Oh, this movie's so good. It is so good. It's so well thought out. It really is. Like, Val Luton was, he was a mastermind because, listen, without him, we probably wouldn't have jump scares. Yeah. Which now we all kind of grieve about. But, yeah. <laughs> listen, they were a big deal when it first happened. Like, so in, there's a scene where Alice is walking down a very dark street. And she hears something creeping behind her and she starts like, it's so scary. She Ooh. starts like walking faster and you can hear the clicking of her heels like. And like and she's like, yes. And, and then she like stops to turn around. And as soon as she does, screech, a bus pulls up right next to her. Yes. And everybody in the audience jumped. They were like, what the heck? <laughs> but ah! then they were brought back down. Because it was a jump scare. It wasn't anything to be afraid of. It was just the bus. Yeah. But that was like revolutionary in 1942. Because all scares, if there were any in a horror film, they were legit. There was like something there scaring you where this was completely different. And he used, it was called the Luton bus. And he used the Luton bus effect uh, or scare tactic, I should say, in a lot of his films. Whoa. And he used it in another one. I think he used it again in Curse of the Cat People. Oh. But, yeah, so that was, like, his thing. And that's why we have cat scares, where, like, a cat will, like, jump out of a closet. Yes. It's all because of cat people. That is crazy. Yeah, so that's there's some so trivia. Cool. You nice. guys can tell your friends at home. Oh. Jump scares started with cat people. You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So final thought. The very title of the film says a lot about what we're getting into. You know, cats are beautiful and soft and small and pretty much the very symbol of sexuality. But they can also be very distant, independent, and frigid. And there's so much that goes hand in hand with the characteristics of cats that really feeds into what this film is trying to convey. And Irina is trying so hard to be a domesticated version of a cat to strike a balance between wanting to be independent and also wanting a marriage that pleases both her and her husband. However, it's difficult to tame all those centuries of being wild. And... You know, everyone loves kittens who are small and helpless and adorable. But like the zookeeper says, no one comes to see the panther. Only happy people go and like see the monkeys that are there. This can also maybe be a commentary on depression and the anxieties that women felt at the time. Irina goes to the zoo to connect with that suppressed side of herself, to identify with that shadow self because she knows what her true nature is and she has no one else to turn to except the panther. And in the end, it's what destroys her and everything she loves. This movie is so 
amazing guys it doesn't get enough credit no not a lot of horror fans i think have or self-proclaimed horror fans have seen it uh that's a mistake you gotta go out there and watch it it's so revolutionary it's amazing it is it's frightening because it's so real and it's timeless like women still have these problems absolutely yeah 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 like this, I mean, even this whole relationship with Oliver and Alice, it's like she's <laughs> she's safe because she's like this uh, platonic relationship. Right. And so. Well, it's sort of platonic. Well, like she's sex. There's no sex really in their friendship. Yeah. There's this fear that sex is dangerous. Yeah. For everybody. Yeah. And and there and it's it's scary because you're right. People do sort of still have these feelings towards sex mm-hmm. where women are confused on should I be this kind of even though I I did not like the book Gone Girl, but one thing about it that I did really like was that this character felt like she had to be the cool girl or the nice girl mm-hmm. or she had to sort of fit into what other people wanted her to be, depending on who she was around. And cat people is sort of like that. Like yeah. The anxieties that come with trying to conform to different types of people. Yeah, absolutely. And especially as... um a woman who is not native to America like she comes from a completely different place and maybe even like a completely different culture and she just wants so badly to belong yeah but she just can't force it and it's so heartbreaking and it's also terrifying because I'm sure a lot of women can identify with that Yes, absolutely. Wow. Thank you so much, Abby. This was a great episode. Yeah. Guys, thank you all so much for joining us for this episode of Good Morning, Nancy. We've got a mini coffee break episode coming to you next week. Abby and I are going to be reading creepy Christmas stories to you. Aren't you excited? I can't wait. (laughs) And then we're going to be taking two weeks off for the holidays. So don't worry, we'll be back after two weeks. Uh, But we do want to thank all of you guys, uh, especially our patrons for supporting us this season. Uh, And then especially our Ellen Ripley patrons, James, Jarvis, Michael, and Travis. You guys are so awesome and we're so incredibly thankful for you. If you'd also like to help support the show, Head on over to patreon.com slash goodmorningnancy, and for just a few bucks a month, you can receive some fun extra content, like bloopers from our show, new movie and trailer reviews, and so much more. Yeah, and don't forget to check out our merch shop, especially since the holidays are coming up. Heck yes! We've got mugs and sweatshirts and t-shirts. It's so great! So go to goodmorningnancy.com slash merch and click the shirt icon, and you'll be taken to our shop. Yeah, and follow us on social media, Twitter at goodmorningnan, Facebook at Good Morning Nancy and Instagram at Good Morning Nancy Podcast. Also, tell a friend and spread the word. Yeah, we love you all to death. Have a great morning. Goodbye. <laughs>